It's Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I, still, when I was still at home? That it is why I was so quick to flee Tar- to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to this city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the reading of God's word. And then Pastor Dan will come up. Good morning, Emmanuel. Let me uh, pray for our time in the Word. Thank you, Mark. Jesus, we would ask that you would uh, quiet our hearts this morning as we come before your Word. Lord, we think of the churches that surround us, Lord, and we are thankful for those churches. We pray for them this morning that all that takes place in their sanctuaries and the worship and also the preaching of your word would be effective, Lord, that your saints would be encouraged in you and those who don't know you may come to faith this morning. So Jesus, work mightily in those churches that surround us. And Lord, this morning, would you give us soft hearts to receive your word and would you give us open ears to hear it, Lord? and eyes to see you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your death, which was payment for our sin, and your resurrection, which gave us new life, and will give us new life. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the last week of Jonah. I hope that you have um, abandoned uh, VeggieTales Jonah for... Uh, what we see here, I hope you've seen this is a, a very complicated book. There's a lot, a lot going on, and the book is not about a fish. So just to kind of uh, summarize our journey so far, we had Jonah at the beginning without explanation being given a, a commandment 
uh, from God is a prophet to go and to speak to Nineveh and to tell them of impending judgment, Nineveh being the enemies of Israel, without explanation as to why Jonah runs. He just, God said, go to east to Nineveh, and Jonah went as far west as he could feasibly go. Tarshish, they think, was a part in the edge of Spain. In that day and age, there was nowhere else to go. That was the end of the world for these people, right? Jonah wanted to go as far away as he possibly could. And you know the story, the storm comes, and, uh, he gets thrown overboard with a wish of death to say, guys, just, just kill me. This is all my fault, this storm that's raging. But God does not let him escape because he sends the fish to swallow him. And Jonah receives, we, we, we talked about how the, 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 the Hebrew kind of points toward a, the, the fish was pregnant with Jonah. And so when he was spit out of the fish, it was like a rebirth because we see Jonah confessing his sin. He's repenting. He's saying salvation belongs to the Lord. He is literally at rock bottom. I mean, quite literally, he's at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. He cannot feasibly get lower not just spiritually, but even physically. And so as the fish spits Jonah out, he is given a new chance, a rebirth. He gets up last week and he goes and he preaches um, uh, what is five words in the Hebrew, eight words usually in our English Bibles, the shortest sermon ever leading to one of the biggest just revivals or, or renewals ever to take place right? Short sermon, the whole city, which is like, you know, wicked people who were just known for their wickedness and their evil. They all are just repenting in sackcloth and ashes saying, Lord, yes, you're right. And they got so extreme that they put sackcloth in their animals and it was just a big ordeal. And Jonah's little five word sermon, he's thinking, wow, this is blowing my mind here. And we talked about how we can develop and cultivate a love, even for those that we perceive to be the worst of sinners even in human history, that God still has a place even for them. So this week, we get some explanations as to why Jonah ran, right? We get some explanations because it looks like, well, you know, uh, uh, he's angry at what happened. So the whole city repents, and Jonah's like, this is exactly why I ran away. It said it displeased Jonah exceedingly because Jonah had the world figured out, right? He, he had, and I want you to track with me here, what is exposed in Jonah's life is that he had embraced some of who God was, but not all of who God was. We're going to trace that theme in uh, different portions in our scripture as well as another story that shows when you embrace just some of who God is, but not all of him, you will wind up in a kind of spiritual disillusionment because something's going to happen in your life that just simply won't make sense. It will be consistent according to who God is, even if we don't quite understand it. But if you don't have room for God to act in ways that are bigger than your own understanding of him, if you're not prepared or ready for that day when it comes, your instinct is going to be, I am jumping ship, I am leaving, I'm going to find my own Tarshish where however I think about the world and think about God, that it's all coherent. You know, I'll just find a way to kind of stick with things and how I know them. I don't want to be challenged. I'm just kind of going to walk away here. There's a spiritual disillusionment that comes with that. We don't like being challenged in what we believe. 
Um, we don't like being introduced sometimes to uh, uh, hard realities that show us that God is perhaps bigger than we thought, and sometimes it stings when you get those lessons, and our instinct is sometimes just to run away. We're going to see in all these stories this morning that that's indeed what the, 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 the wall of resistance was built, in, and they wanted to run. A, a great statement that kind of explains this is in uh, Dostoevsky, the brothers Karamazov. The main character, Alyosha, he's a monk in the church, and he uh, was being tutored by Father Zosima. I'm probably butchering the Russian. I don't know Russian. And his mentor died. Everybody revered this man, and he had a special affection for Alyosha. And Alyosha was just heartbroken to see his mentor pass away, who has been just cultivating him and his faith for some years. Evidence started to come. You can read the story to see what the evidence was. Evidence started surfacing that maybe the man who had mentored him was not all he was cracked up to be. Maybe there was some hidden sin in his life. Maybe there was some hypocritical, uh, kind of dual, you know, two-faced kind of guy that had one life behind closed doors and another in front of people. And everyone was just shocked at this potential revelation. Now, Alyosha, being so uh, close to this man, he, he goes in a bit of a, of a spin here. His world starts kind of spinning. He's like, I don't, I don't have room for this in my mind. This man is supposed to be the image of what a Christian is, and this, is, this doesn't make sense. How could, this, how could this be true? This was my father, my mentor. How could this be true? And as somebody is pressing him to saying, are you going you gonna, to you know, uh, uh, believe in God anymore? And he goes, no. He goes, I am not rebelling against God because he started distancing himself from the monastery and he was in a crisis. But he said this, I am not rebelling against God. I simply do not accept his world. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's Jonah, right? Jonah didn't have a faith crisis. He still believed in God. He just said, God, I, I don't accept what you've done here. Right? My enemies, no, I, I don't accept that they're now worshiping you as well. No. I do not accept this world. And like Alyosha, he tried to run away. Hold on to that. We're going to dive into Jonah chapter 4. Now, this is from a translation called the New English Translation because there's a lot of crazy things going on in the original language, and that translation seems to bring out some of it. So you can follow along on Jonah chapter 4. Now, so this, the repentance of Nineveh, it greatly displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. Push pause. You know, he's like complaining to God here, and he's praying. Did you catch that? He prayed to the Lord. In case you don't know, if you have beef with God, you're in good company, just open up the Psalms. And like one out of three Psalms are just complaints to God about things that don't make sense that happen in their life. Why, God, is repeated over and over and over through the form of prayer and actually even song in the Psalms. So Jonah was praying to God as he was complaining to God. He was kind of shaking his fist in prayer to God. 
because this is what I was trying to uh, escape to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, quoting uh, the book of Exodus there, and one who relents threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me because I would rather die than live. Now, there's a lot of irony going on. The book of Jonah is kind of funny in some ways. It goes, I knew you were loving. That's the problem. It's like, it's kind of funny. It's a funny thing to say out loud, right? But track with Jonah's story here, which makes it even more kind of, you know, comedic in this sense. So Jonah accepted God as judge. Like he was hoping that when he went and told them in Nineveh, God is going to judge you, that God really would do it. And he knew that God could judge and that he does judge. And he said, yes, I accept God as judge. So in that portion of Jonah's, you know, life, that's correct, right? We can cling to that. And then he was humbled in Jonah chapter 2 where he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so in that way, he says, not only is God judge, he's also my savior, And Acts 10 shows that God is indeed both. In Acts chapter 10, verses 42 through 43, this is the apostles speaking. It says, he commanded us to preach to the people and warn them that Jesus is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and dead. Verse 43 says, about him all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Jesus came to judge and also to save which is essentially we're going to see one and the same. And so God is both of these, and Jonah says, yes, you know, he saved me, he is judge. But the issue was he didn't want him to be the savior of his enemy. His understanding of God was somewhat incomplete. Now, I grew up fishing. I'm from the south, and so, you know, there's a reservoir down the street from me. I would go fishing there, and I think I collectively caught about four fish in, I don't know, 15 years of my life, and that, that was kind of the joke of that place. You know, when we go to fish, you don't actually go to catch fish, you just go to sit, because supposedly they stocked it, I don't know. But, what, you know, I caught, a, a, we call them brim down south, or I don't know the official name of them, but um, if you ever catch one of those brim, they have the spiky, you know, uh, fins on top, but once you pull it out and you're holding the thing, you're trying to, you know, get the hook out of the mouth, if... What happens if you squeeze too tight on a fish? What happens? It slips right out of your hand. You have to kind of master the art of gripping, but not too tight, to kind of be able to, to think and flop around a little bit so it can't quite escape, because if you squeeze too tight, it just, whoop, like a bar of soap, just slips right out of your hand. And this is what happens if you try to squeeze down too tightly on God to say, God, this is who you are, this is what I expect you to do. And eventually, if you, if you create that kind of box for God like Jonah did, and you squeeze down on him, he's going to slip out of your hand because something will happen to say, well, wait, hold on, this doesn't fit here. This is not what I expected. You should not have forgiven my enemy. Jonah had borne down a little too tightly, and God slipped out of his hand, and he said, forget the whole thing, I'm out of here, right? And this is a lesson for us. Don't get a box and try to shove God into it, right? Don't think you got them all figured out, right? And this is going to be what we're talking about continually as we move on. Verse 4, God responded. He said, are you really angry? Are you really so very angry? Translation, you mad, bro? You mad that I forgave them, really? 
You're actually mad about this. Verse five, it says, Jonah left the city and he sat down east of it. He made a shelter, a booth for himself there and sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. I think what's going on here is Jonah maybe, he actually thought maybe I changed God's mind that he'll relent of his relenting of Nineveh. I want to go watch and see if I change God's mind. Maybe he will actually destroy this place. Maybe he, maybe I changed God's mind. So he goes and kind of sits down, builds a booth, and says, I'm just going to watch. Maybe that, maybe that's going to happen. Maybe they're going to be judged after all. And he's just kind of waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. As he's waiting, God, the almighty surgeon, he gets ready to do some, some work on Jonah's heart, right? He gets his tools ready, and the tool he uses here is a plant. Now, the, the, in the original language, it's, it's unknown what this plant is. Uh, King James called it a gourd. We heard earlier it was called a vine. We don't really know what it was. It was, a, it was just a plant, some kind of plant, okay? And it's interesting because this plant is going to have a dual function. This is the ancient Near East. This is the Middle East. This is a, more of a desert region. It's probably summertime or close to it, and, it, and it's hot, right? We know deserts are hot. And so as Jonah's waiting, and he's beneath his little you know, kind of, you know, uh, poorly built booth, apparently. It wasn't providing good shade for him, but this plant was to rescue Jonah, not just from a brief moment of being more comfortable from the overall heat, but also to rescue him from his own misery. There's kind of a dual function here, this plant. The plant's going to deliver Jonah from all the problems that lie in his own heart. God is going to use it to surface those things. In verse 6, at the very beginning of verse 6, it says, The Lord God appointed a little plant and caused it to grow up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to rescue him from his misery. Not just the misery of the hot sun, but the misery of his own sin. So when it grew, this highly emotional, topsy-turvy, big highs and big lows guy, he was very delighted. He was extremely pleased. He was very, very, very happy about this little plant. And here's the irony. He was like, now I'm comfortable as I wait for God's wrath to pour out on 100,000 plus people to be utterly white from the face of the earth. But hey, I'm comfortable. This is great. You see the irony. It's, it is kind of funny how selfish Jonah is thinking in this moment in his life. So as he's sitting there in his little cozy, this you know, miraculously grown plant is over his head, verse 7, God sent a worm at dawn the next day, and it attacked the little plant so that it dried up. When the sun began to shine... God sent a hot east wind, so the sun beat down on Jonah's head. He grew faint. He despaired of life. At this point, we've all even lost count. Three or four times now, right? He says, I would rather die than live. Like, I'm done again. This is over. I'd rather die than live. And God said to Jonah, are you really so angry about the plant? Or maybe there's a little more to your anger. You can kind of see that. Are you really mad about the plant? So as Jonah hits this second bottom, he responds this time to God's question because the first time God said you're mad, Jonah was just, he, he was like, I'm not even going to respond to you. But that was, was silence from Jonah. And this time he responds, he goes, I am really angry, God. He says, I am, 
as angry as I possibly can be. I'm not sure what your translation says, but it's like his anger is maxed out. He's like, he's redlined. There is no other anger possible. Like he's at the peak of anger. He's like, I can't get more angry, God. Like you've drove me absolutely, like I cannot possibly be more mad in this moment. And what does God say to him? Right, I'm gonna read this. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? For the plants? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is a, my, you know, uh, uh, summary or paraphrase, if you will. God says, I get it, you're uncomfortable. But this plant, Jonah, is exposing the emotion you are feeling about yourself. You quickly grew to care for this little plant, even though you didn't cause it to grow yourself or did nothing about it even in its death. That plant was great because you benefited from it, but it was not even 24 hours old. But do you have a right to be angry when suddenly you are no longer benefiting from the plant. Do you have a right to be angry about something you, you didn't cause to grow or didn't cause even to die? Are you really actually mad at me, Jonah, or the plant? Because I did what I pleased with that plant. I caused it to grow. I caused it to die. I caused you to briefly benefit from it, and now I caused you to be extremely uncomfortable. Jonah, face it, the world is a little bit bigger than this. Don't you see how I feel about this whole city? Yes, they're enemies of Israel. Yes, but I created them, and they're image bearers of me. And even my handiwork of animals is even there. I'll admit that's a little confusing to throw in the animals, but God does. So there you go. Animals are part of his creation as well. He says, Jonah, they're all there. If you just took your eyes off of yourself for a moment here, couldn't you see that I want to love them as I love you? Can't you see I want you to perhaps care for them a little more than even about yourself? There's another story that kind of exposes some of this spirit here. Naaman, 2 Kings 5, happens to be another Syrian, actually. He was a Syrian uh, 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 military leader, and he had leprosy or skin disease or something, and he gets word that in Israel, which again, these countries are not, you know, even at this time in 2 Kings 5, they're not friends. And somebody's like, hey, you're an important guy in Assyria. Uh, there's somebody who can heal you in Israel, Naaman. And he goes, great, sweet, I'm going to go get healed. So he brings money and all this stuff to kind of bribe, you know, uh, uh, the leader of Israel to say, you know, I'm here for my healing. Here's all my money. So what do we do? How, how's this going to work? And then eventually, you know, um, uh, Elisha gets word and and he goes, yeah. He sends his messenger to Naaman, this really big, important guy. And the messenger of the prophet goes, just go and dip in the river seven times. You'll be healed in the Jordan River. And Naaman's like, wait, who are you? You're not the prophet who's supposed to be able to heal your like, servant or something. And the Jordan River? No. That river stinks. I'm from Syria. Our rivers are way better. I am not doing that. The answer is no in his arrogance. He said, you know, I expected the prophet to show up and kind of wave his hand and I could just walk away and I'd be good because I'm not going to put up with this. So he starts to leave because his pride said, that's not what I expected God to do. 
but it's not how I anticipated him to work healing in my life, so I'm not going to participate. And his servant actually said, you know, he did say you would be healed. <laughs> Maybe you should just go do it. And not just one dip, but in faith, had to do it seven times, and sure enough, he was healed. The problem was his own pride to say, I don't, I don't want God to work that way. That's not how this works. I'm important. The prophet should have shown up, not this stupid little servant person and not this stupid little river. It has to be in the Syrian river. It has to be this way and this way. And God is saying, look, it's your pride that is the most sick part of you, not your skin disease. It's your heart that needs the greatest healing right now. And God always has much more in mind than just even our physical healing because he looks inside of us and says, your heart is so sick and it needs constant work and constant attention from his Holy Spirit. And so as we work on the back end of our sermon now, Jonah was reborn in chapter two. God wanted him to know all of him. For Naaman, he, he knew that God could heal, but he wasn't willing to embrace all of who God was because of his own pride in himself. For Jonah, he knew God would judge and he knew God could save, but he didn't quite want God to save his enemy, both men and even Alyosha in the story we mentioned at the beginning. He, he couldn't imagine that such a holy man might actually be a sinner and it wrecked his whole view of God. All three of these people had a faulty view of God and a very small view of God. And all three of them, an instinct, wanted to simply walk away. In Jonah's case, run. In Naaman's case, go back to Syria and forget this whole thing. And even Alyosha's case, he tried to rebel and to walk away from his own life in the monastery. All three, the instinct was, I'm, I'm done with this. We call that spiritual disillusionment. When God works in your life and you don't understand it. Has it happened to you before? Has something happened to you where you say, I just, this doesn't make sense. I know with all things God, you know, is possible with the Lord. I know that's true, but this is extremely uninvited in my life. And if this is what God wants to do, I'm just going to push this away. And I don't want anything to do with it. Have you been there before? Even now in this room, is that you there's a one more story, it's a brief one, that's mostly a hymn that he wrote. John Newton, he was a former captain of a slave ship. He's a famous guy. If you don't know about him, you should read about him. He's an amazing life. Former captain of a slave trading ship in England in the early uh, 1700s. He became a Christian and then an abolitionist and had pled a huge cause in abolishing slavery out of England. When he invited all of Jesus into his life, to say, Lord, I need all of you, not just some of you. I need all of you in my life. He had a lot of, you can just read his journals and his memoir. It's, it's fascinating. The man was so, became so acutely aware of his sin. And he had a long ways to go in his journey with Christ. He said, Lord, I need all of you to change me and all of you to come into my life and start to work on the sickest parts of my heart. And you should listen to this because if you truly say that to God, like it's like, look, I, I, I know maybe I embrace some of you. If you want to make the prayer to say, God, I want to embrace all of you, you need to be prepared for something difficult to maybe come. You ever been challenged with praying for patience? Why does she want to pray for patience? Because you know what's going to happen. 
God's going to say, I'm going I'm to put you somewhere where you have to learn patience. So I'm not even going to pray for patience then, right? Because <laughs> we know this is how God works, right? So I'm going to challenge you this morning to, to see the, the, the incompleteness of these men uh, in the fictional man, these two other stories in Scripture where they only accepted some of God but not all of them. And I'm challenging you this morning to say, what if you invited all of God into your life to say, Lord, who, whatever you may do and all the complexities of who you are, you are infinitely bigger than me, than humans. Lord, I invite all of you. Are you ready for that kind of relationship with God? Because it's going to be challenging. It's going to be joyful and wonderful and peaceful, but also he wants you to grow into his likeness. And he will aim for those parts that you are clinging to where you built the walls around and say, well, not there, God. No, you can't have this part. I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting you to touch that part of me. He will. He will. Listen to this song that, uh, that John Newton wrote. He walks through this and actually uses Jonah 4 as like the backdrop of his little poem here. Listen to this. I think I'm missing the first stanza here. No, I'm not. Okay. It says, "'Twas he who taught me to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost to drive me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he would answer my request.' And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. In other words, kind of like Naaman, you know, I hoped he would just heal me and wave his hand. Like Jonah, I hope he would just send me to my own people and not to my enemy, right? When I chose to follow after him. And I hope in some favored hour he answered my request to just give me love and keep me from sinning and, and give me rest and just kind of do this stuff for me. Instead of this, says John, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yeah, more. With his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed. He blasted my gourds. Gourds is how the King James labeled the plant for Jonah. So he's quoting the story of Jonah here. God calls that worm to come and kill the plant. And John Newton, he recognized whatever plant he's trying to hide under. And he says, God is blasting those in my life. He's taking them out. Those gourds I'm trying to hide beneath my of, of comfortability. He's blasting them all the way to expose the sins in my own heart. He blasted my gourds and he laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Jonah 4, the worm came and killed the plant. He goes, I feel like the worm is now after me. Are you trying to take me out? Because this is hard, God. I'm sicker than I thought. Again, read this man's story. He's like, I, I am way sicker than I thought, and this is really hard. Are you going to kind of, you know, loosen up, God? I'm exhausted. This is hard, Lord. You're exposing me. These inward trials... Well, sorry, he says, will thou pursue thy worm to death? And God replies, he says, tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. In other words, he says, John, you're the one praying for grace and faith. I'm responding because I want you to be like me. I want to flush this stuff out of you, John. You prayed this prayer. I'm just working to answer your prayer. These inward trials I employ from self 
and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. As we close, I'm going to challenge you, church, this morning. The gospel tells us this, that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in order that we, that he would bring us to newness of life by his spirit. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, you're raised now and you will be raised in full when he returns in the age to come. And through his spirit, he wants to unleash all of himself on you. I mean, he wants to give all of himself to you. If you let him, he will not only give you the highest and deepest and most con, uh, content joy that can uh, uh, survive the most difficult scenarios in, in your life, but he will expose what we can call bad belief in your heart. He will expose sin in your own life that usually is surfaced when you get angry. Anger is a great symptom that something's disordered in your life when you get angry. If you ever lash out in anger at God or somebody else, you're probably trying to in some way defend yourself, right? Anger is one of the biggest symptoms that there's disordered belief in your life about God and God is at work trying to break it down in your life and you're resisting and you're fighting just like Jonah, just like Naaman. He will expose it in your life and all your frustrations against God. And the question will be in that moment, are you going to run? Or will you let him do his work? You going to try to push him away and find your own Tarshish? Or are you going to say, okay, God, what do you have for me? The Apostle Paul um, he, he prayed this prayer, and I, I, I want to challenge us this morning to pray this as we close. Because the reality is, if, if you belong to Jesus and you try to run, remember Jonah, how far did he get? He didn't get very far. Because God's not going to let you run away from him. He, he, he's going to go after you. Just like he, he went after the one sheep and left the 99, he's going to chase after you because he loves you. Spare yourself the grief and let him do his work in your life. There's a, a prayer Paul prays in Ephesians 3, and I, as I read through this, I'm going to call our worship team to come up as I'm going to close in one more song. I challenge you guys to pray this. If you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I, I know that I, I have faulty belief and I, I'm not embracing all, I'm not even open to God doing all that he wants to do in my life. I'd rather just choose the good parts that I agree with. If you sense this, you're in a spot like that this morning, I challenge you to pray this prayer with me. It's straight from the New Testament. If you know those areas in your heart that you have not released to God and you just keep clinging to it, I challenge you to pray this prayer. It is a prayer to embrace the fullness of God that is within you by the power of the Spirit. And Paul led his church in Ephesus to pray this. So I'm going to read this. Coming from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And I challenge you. For this reason, says Paul, I kneel before the Father. If you need to kneel this morning, kneel. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, I pray, here's the prayer, that according to the wealth of his glory, that he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. 
that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you ready? That you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Jesus, I pray that prayer over the saints in this room this morning. I pray for those who are here that may be not quite sure where they are in their relationship with you. And perhaps even this, well, there's a reason why they are in this room, Lord. There's a reason why you brought them here this morning. Lord, if even if their life, if they're trying to run from you, if they know that you're knocking on the door of their own heart in you, uh, and they're trying to be resistant to letting you in, Lord, I pray that they would, in faith, allow those walls to be broken down. And Lord, for those in this room who have been walking with you for some time, Lord, would you expose in their hearts if they have not embraced all of you, but just some of you, Lord. That if you are actively using some situation in their life that is hard and is difficult, Lord, to refine them and to grow them, if they are just resisting and like Jonah, Lord, just, just trying to run away and maybe give half obedience but still clinging and, and there's that, that plant over them that they're trying to hide beneath and you are striking that plant down, Lord, I pray that you would, you would bring them to you, Lord, and that repentance will be found and, Lord, they would embrace your fullness, Lord, that you would fill them with the power of of your spirit for, Lord, such a time as this today. May they leave today, Lord, being free from the bondage of that sin in their life. And they walk out of here just more full of you than they have been in quite some time. Holy Spirit, would you work this morning, Lord? We thank you for your grace that um, even if that is us this morning, that you are always there to pick us up, Lord. The cross and the forgiveness that we receive through you is always enough. It is, uh, is bottomless, Lord. Uh, it can never be exhausted, and we are thankful, Lord. Lord, once again, would you rescue us from ourself, Lord, that we may be willing to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of your love, even in, if it doesn't make sense to us, Lord, that we would abandon even reason, Lord, sometimes to say, Lord, I don't understand, but my only hope is in you. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray these things in your name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we'll have our elders up here after the last song. Please come forward and receive prayer if you need it. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are You are good, you're good, oh, 
the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song you are good good to us because we know, Lord, that there is nothing in us. There is nothing in us. Your word is said that is righteous. But because of Jesus, we have become righteous in him. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Lord. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore.